Hey guys, once again, it is my privilege to be with you here this morning. And before I jump into the message, I just want to point your attention to the video we just saw. I know we play that almost every Sunday and it's so easy to sort of just dismiss it or not even see it, but just want to remind you what we believe God's called us to as a church. And that is seeing people's lives transformed through a small group community where, where people are belonging to one another and living with each other in, in spiritual uh, help toward each other, where they're growing in their relationships relationship with God and, and becoming more like Jesus Christ and where they're on mission uh, serving the community for him. And we just believe that this community is transformed as those kind of places. And so our schools and our workplaces and our neighborhoods and, uh, and all over the place. And so God gave us a really, uh, what we think is a pretty neat goal by 2030 to see 2,000 people in a small group just like that. And so um, excited about that. Hope we're praying for that and working towards that end. Um, today we are finishing a series that seems like we just started, and it's called Practical Prayers. Because we don't want to pray just any kind of prayers. We don't want to pray uh, lifeless prayers. We want to pray life-giving, specific, life-changing kind of prayers. And so last week uh, we talked about uh, praying for those who are far from God and how do we pray that they might come to know God. And then two weeks ago, Eric was speaking on praying for God's direction in your life. Today, on Memorial Day weekend, we wanted to, we wanted to remember those who've sacrificed for us and, and all the freedoms that we possess and all the blessings that we enjoy because of their sacrifice. We wanted to, we wanted to hone in on a certain kind of practical prayer with how do we pray for our nation? So that's what we'll be looking at today is how to pray for our nation. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2. And then also in Romans 13, you'll have the verses on the screen here as well. And, and this is how it starts. He says this, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So right out of the gate, I want you to notice that word urge. This is a challenge. Uh, God inspired Paul to say, listen, this is something really important that we are to be people, obviously, that pray for ourselves and for our lives and for our families and for the things going on in our life and around us. But we are also to be urgently praying for our nation. It's really important. And so the question I want to start with is, how do we pray for our nation? How do we do that? This passage lists four different types of prayers, and, and they sound really similar. In fact, you'd, you'd be almost tempted to think maybe Paul's just being redundant here, uh, kind of like when people do those thesaurus prayers. You ever heard one of the thesaurus prayers? God, bless me, uh, help me, change me, you know, uh, Lord, God, Father, Creator, uh, you know, and you use the same different words to say the same thing over and over again. That's not what he's doing here. He's actually saying four different specific things about prayer and how we should be praying for our nation. So let's look at each one of these. First of all, he says we need to be praying with petition. Petition is a dire request. It is an urgent banging on the gates of heaven. It is usually in response to a deep spiritual need like we've seen recently in our country. It's in response to the, 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 the problems that come as morality slips and truth is redefined and diminished. It comes as God is marginalized more and more in our country. 
We're told when we see these things happening and, and, there's, and there's problems that arise and it's getting worse and worse, we are called to pray, but not just pray, we are to urgently pray. That's what petition means, that we are to pray with urgency. We're to pray, you guys, like our country's future depends on it. Because it does. He says, first of all, start with petition. This is serious. This is urgent. And you and I are called to pray for the needs of a nation. So he says petitions, and then he says prayers. Now that seems very, that you and I, if, if we were, but it carries with it the idea of a habit. That you and I, if, if we were going to be people who pray the way God intends us to pray for our nation, that we would, we would be people who pray uh, quite often and habitually about our nation. That we're devoted to prayer, not just for a season, we're devoted to prayer for our nation just when things are bad, but we are to pray consistently. That's what prayer means, that we are people who pray consistently. And we're going to do a message on it here, and you might be thinking about it this week or because it's Memorial Day tomorrow, and you may pray for the nation. But listen, God says, listen, I want you to pray consistently. Can I just ask you, how are you praying? Is it consistent? Do you have a regular habit of prayer? In your life. And now, when we saw, talk about a habit, a habit of prayer looks like this you have a time set aside to pray. And it is an appointment with God, and it is important so much so that other obligations, if they try to infringe upon the habit of prayer, they wait because you have an appointment with God. How do you pray? Are you praying with consistency? I don't think there's a better example in scriptures of of someone's prayer life in this area than Daniel. The prophet Daniel was removed from his nation, his country, and taken to a foreign place and had lots of things going against him, and, and he had to conform to so many things that they wanted him to do. He would not conform his convictions about God, though. And so even though he had responsibilities, he was literally running the nation of Babylon. Daniel made it a habit to consistently pray morning, afternoon, and evening. Day after day after day, he carried with him the habit of prayer. And even when they said, hey, if anyone is found praying to anyone other than, 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 uh, than to our idol, then they're going to be condemned, Daniel continued to pray morning, afternoon, and evening. I tell you, as a church, we are trying to build a consistency of prayer where we come together and pray, and I'm committed to Thursday mornings right here in this room from 6 to 8 a.m. You can drop in and pray with me, and we'll be here praying except for the rest of this month, um, um, going on mission trip and all that stuff. So just, just put in your head July. If you want to start coming to pray for our nation and for those who need God and for direction in your life and for the souls of people that are far from God, that God would use this church, then you come and you pray consistently with us. So he says petitions we pray urgently, uh, prayers we pray consistently. And then thirdly, he says intercession. We pray with intercession. And that's just simply asking God to intervene in what's happening. And we, when we pray with intercession, we're not praying to God with wishful thinking that hopefully and maybe God will do something. No, it's praying with a childlike confidence in a heavenly Father who is promised to not only hear our prayers, but to answer prayer. That we believe that God is the solution for what ails not only our lives, but what ails all lives. 
So we pray expectantly. When he says pray with intercession, that means praying with expectancy, believing that God and God alone has the power to change things for his good, believing that God can interrupt the plans of mankind, that God can change a hard heart, that God can give new direction where there's no way forward, that God is ultimately moving history towards its final end. And in prayer, we get to join him that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray, believing that God will come through when we pray. Asking him to intervene. So we pray with petition. We pray with prayers. We pray interceding, asking God to interrupt the plans of man. And third, fourthly, we pray with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So obviously we're praying for things and asking for things, but we also want to take time to give thanks to God for this country. We pray gratefully. We pray gratefully. Certainly we pray in the history of this country, it may be difficult to do that, to pray gratefully for where we live. But when we pray with gratitude and give thanksgiving to God, we remember how he has blessed this nation and how he has used it for incredible good in the past. And we thank him that of all the countries in the world, listen, I just believe this is my personal opinion, but you and I hit the jackpot when he planted us in this nation. that this is the greatest place on the planet to live, that this is the greatest place to raise a a family on the planet, that you and I experience political freedoms. We have personal freedoms that very few other countries get to enjoy that you and I have in this country, that financially, regardless of what your walk of life is and and whether you're you're wealthy in in the eyes of people here, just by living in this country, you and I are in the top 10% 10% of the world. Man, we hit, we hit the jackpot. And spiritually, this country has afforded so much opportunity. There's churches all around. There's Bibles at, you know, all over the place. We got them sitting on shelves. Uh, we have resources and opportunity to hear things and see things and watch things because there's so many resources right at our fingertips that we are spiritually planted in a place where the good news of Jesus is proclaimed over and over and over again. And so we get to pray with thanksgiving. Man, God, thank you. Thank you for planting me here. So we pray with petition because there's urgent things going on in our nation that, that require an urgent request. We pray with prayers of consistently because we don't just give up after a season that we pray that God would do things and change things. So we pray expectantly knowing that God of heaven can and does intervene in the course of human history and we pray with gratitude thanking him for what he's given us. This is how we pray for our nation. Second question I want to ask is, who do we pray for? Who do we pray for? Go back to that passage we already read, and it says that prayers were to be made for all people, for kings, and all those in authority. Now, he says all a couple times there, and what's interesting in the Greek is that word for all means all. If we agree with the leader, regardless if we like the leader, that you and I are called to pray for all of the leaders over us. Do you agree it's good for our country that we pray consistently for it? 
then I hope you also see how that as you and I learn to pray for all those in authority on both sides of the political aisle, on both sides of different topics, and even people we strongly disagree with on certain things, that it's good not only for our nation, but it's good for our soul and our well-being that we pray for even the people we disagree with. It's good for us. Otherwise, we turn into that grumpy person on Facebook that rants 15 times a day about how awful things are and how bad this person is and I remember the good old days and, and all those things. I mean, we, we become that person if we don't we specifically pray for all those in authority. See, on the one hand, I really believe as a follower of Christ that our faith doesn't just influence the spiritual part of our life, that our faith is to influence every single part of our life and how we relate to other people in relationships and how we deal with our finances and how we raise kids and how we treat our neighbor and how we forgive other people and how we, it should permeate every part of our life, including our citizenship. And on the one hand, being a follower of Christ means that we absolutely should stand up for things that we believe in and, and, and topics that we have a, a very strong opinion on and, and we can vote a certain way and we, we should do our civic duty to, to fully go in and what we believe is what's right and what's good, even that, if that puts us in a certain camp. But at the same time, even already dug in one area, we still pray for all authorities. We pray for the people that don't see things the way we see it. We pray for those who are going against the agenda that we're trying to work towards. We pray for those people that God would not further divide us, but that this nation could be united and that we could work together for the common good of all. And so we pray for all in authority. I think it's really clear in this passage that we pray for all of our leaders, right? But it becomes really convicting when you start to understand the context by which God inspired Paul to write this letter. Because when Paul wrote this, likely he was under the leadership of Nero, the Roman emperor Nero at the time. Nero was not a good guy. He came to power when he was only 17 years old. That ought to make you nervous right there. If you know a 17-year-old, no, I'm just kidding. And soon after he got power, he had his half-brother and his mother killed because he saw him as a threat to his power. And then there was a huge fire in Rome in AD 64 and, and it devastated parts of Rome and, and it was just it was this awful thing that happened killed lots of people on purpose so he could expand his palace, make it bigger. Not a good guy. And then he needed a scapegoat. So he said, you know what? They don't, nobody likes these Christians anyway, so I'm going to blame the fire on the Christians. And it started a systematic persecution of the church of Jesus and the believers of that day. And because he was wicked and his awful lifestyle and his abuse of power and the persecution of Christians, many believers in that day thought, thought Nero was the Antichrist that Jesus said was coming. In that climate, Paul prays for all authorities. In that climate, Paul is praying for Nero. And Paul instructs every believer to continue to pray for all authorities, that we would be called to pray for Nero in that day as well. You say, how in the world could you do that? How could you pray for someone that vile and wicked? 
How could you challenge other believers to pray for that person? Because I believe Paul really believed the words that God inspired him to pen in Romans chapter 13. In verse 1 he says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I love how he says it twice just so we wouldn't miss it. How do we pray for all people? God has appointed them. The good leaders and the wicked leaders have been put in place by God for his purposes. You say, I don't understand that. I don't get that. How could God use wicked people and evil people with selfish intent to, 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 to his purposes? How does he do that? Can all I can say to that is, is his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than his way. And as high as the heaven is above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. And when we don't understand the plan and the, and the sovereignty of God, he does. Can I tell you, I believe, for me just studying this, this is hard to hear. That God would appoint good leaders and wicked leaders. But can I challenge you, our, our prayers for the, those in authority must include people on both sides of the political that we ought to be praying on a national level for our White House and for the Senate and the Congress and the, the federal judges, that we ought to be praying on a state level by name for our senators and our representatives, that you and I are called as a people of God to pray for our local officials like the Board of Education, city council members, and other leaders in our community by name. We can't pray for all of them by name, but we should pick out some on this side of the aisle and that side of the aisle. We'd be praying that God would still use them regardless if we agree with them or not. You know who we pray for? We pray for all authorities. Third question I want to ask is, what do we pray when we're praying for a nation? What should we be praying for? Well, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and it says this. Let me just read it again. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may. And then he's going to go into several things we should be praying for. That we may. That we may have a government that promotes certain things. And the first of which is peace. He says, pray that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. You know that God has instituted government to keep the peace? Do you know that God has instituted government? He has ordained it to have a role in our lives. That government isn't something outside of God's plan, but actually it is a part of God's plan. In fact, God has instituted three institutions or three building blocks in which every civilization is built. And the first of that is the family. The second of that is the church. And the third is that of government. So let's look at each one of those. That God, first of all, instituted family to be the foundational piece. It's like the cell in the body. It's that small microorganism that if it's strong and healthy, it produces a healthy body. But if it is deteriorating and falling apart, it can bring destruction. That first of all, God instituted in Genesis 2, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh and that was the basic building block of building a society. It's a family. It's where people learn how to get along. Authority. The family is where we are taught to live at peace with one another. 
Maybe you haven't seen your role in the family, in the home as that, but that is exactly what we're called to do. If you are leading a family, if you're in charge of a family, if you have authority in a family, that you and I have a role to teach those things to the next generation. Secondly, God has ordained a church. And God this made this beautiful thing 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ left this earth and, and the Spirit came. He started the church, and the church of Christ is here to come alongside the family and to supplement what the family's doing. And when the family is suffering, guess who's there? It's the church of God that would come along and strengthen what the family's doing and help them to raise godly kids and help them to live for Jesus. It's the church. And for those who didn't have that experience in a family, that's a second line of defense that the good news and the, and the gospel of peace, maybe we missed it in our family, but the gospel of peace can meet us through the church and those who are far from God can find God and those who had lived with no peace with God and no peace with their fellow man can find that through the ministry of the church. It's the second building block that God has ordained. And then thirdly, there's government. The government has a role to bring peace in the civilization. Now, I'm going to make a, not a political statement, but a biblical statement based on recent policy. That's why I believe uh, defund the police was such a dumb idea. Because God says government has a role biblically to bring peace. That government has been given a place that it starts with the family and it starts with the, and then goes into the church and if neither one of those are effective and they reject the teaching of the church and they reject the teaching of a family, that peace and order is still brought by the government that God puts in place. The role is to make peace. In fact, look at what it says just a few verses down in Romans 13. It says, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. You ever seen your political leaders as God's servant? That's what it says. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for, their no, for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. What's he saying? Government is put in place to punish the wrongdoer. In, the, in Paul's day, it was a sword. In our day, it is bearing arms. He says that is their role, is to keep the peace. And if the family fails and if the church fails and if you won't listen to the authority of the father or mother and you won't listen to the authority of the church, then there's another authority that God has put in place and they're not nearly so kind. But they bear the sword for no, not for no reason. Which makes, you always, makes me want to ask the question, is there ever a time that it's right for a people to rebel against the authorities that God has put in place? You ever thought of that? I think we need to think about that because we're standing in a nation uh, that came about just that way, right? There was a rebellion against the king that they said was no longer fit to be their king. I go back to that, what we just read. When it says, the one of, in authority is God's servant for your good. 
How do we know when a government is in, on the right track, when they're doing things for the good of the people and not for their own interest? When they're doing what is best for the, the, the citizens of the country and not as what is best for the ruling class of a country? See, when a government fails to be the government of the people and by the people and for the people, like Abraham Lincoln said in his Gettysburg Address, then you've got a serious issue on your hands. That the government that our founding fathers saw in mind, the government that God says is good, is one that is of the people and by the people and for the people. It is for their good. But I mean, just be honest with you, I'm really conflicted on this one. Because I see that point, and then I think about Nero. I think about the ministry of Jesus. He never once said, rebel against the Roman government. Paul never wrote, hey, we need to rebel against Nero. I, I don't have an answer for you today. I'm just leaving you, hopefully, in the same tension that I feel, that there is a time, perhaps, that we have to go against the governing authorities. But we need to be crystal clear of why and when that would happen. If a government fails to promote peace, you got a problem. You got a problem. So we need to be praying for peace, that our government would bring about peace. But we also need to be praying for godliness, that God would bring forth through his government a level of godliness to our society. Now, I don't know how many of you have heard the phrase, you can't legislate morality. You guys heard that? That's a term we've heard for a long time, right? We, I've been hearing that phrase for a really long time. And in a sense, I understand what people are saying in that. Just because a, a law gets put into place, it doesn't mean that people are going to obey that law. You can't force people to do what is right. You can't force people to be moral. You can't force people to do what is good and godly to their neighbor. There's still going to be people that break the law, even if those laws are in define what it is. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean our laws shouldn't define what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. In fact, I would say every law is a moral statement on some level. See, I think this lie that you can't legislate morality has taken us to a place where people believe that no one has the freedom to restrict their freedoms, even if it causes uh, other people's freedoms to be infringed upon or even does harm to other people. I think that's the place we've gone, let it take, take us to lately. Can I tell you something very clear? Laws are in place to protect people. Laws are in place to protect the innocent. Saw a news story a few weeks back, and it was about a, it was about a man who uh, was at a swim meet. It was the NCA women's swim meet, and uh, he had fathered three daughters. And then later in life, he he uh, he he identified himself as a woman, and he has the right to do that. I don't understand that, but he has the right to do that. And he was at the swim meet, and he was standing. The video I saw, he's standing in front of the bathrooms, and there was a mom standing between him and the bathroom, and he was wanting to go into the women's bathroom. And the mom says, you, are, I, you, you can identify however you want to identify, but you're not going into the bathroom with my daughters. What do you think about that? 
I think she's spot on. I think there's a time to take a stand about what's right and what's wrong. And this culture that we live in is progressively going to push back into that and tell us that we're bigoted, tell us that we're narrow-minded, tell us that we're, that we're the ones that are off base if we stand for something like that. But I can I tell you, if my daughters had been in that bathroom, I'd have been saying the same thing. How about you? Laws are in place to protect the innocent. And the role of government is to protect those and to bring peace and bring a level of goodness and godliness to a society. It is not going to do the whole job. Listen, we cannot expect the government to, to, to do what we're supposed to do as the church of Jesus Christ, but it can bring law and order, and it should. And that's what we should be praying for as followers of Christ, that not only would there be peace in our land, but there would be goodness and godliness, that right would be right and wrong would be wrong, and legislation would come through that defines those things and protects the innocence and we innocent and we do what we know is right. Can I tell you church there's going to be a time that you and I are going to have to stand up for what is right when it's not popular. The third thing we pray for when it comes to our government and this might sound strange but is an awakening, a spiritual awakening. Where do I get that? He says, listen, we want to pray for authorities that we may live in peace and that there's be godliness and holiness. And then it says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. You don't know what's on the heart of God is that he would see all people who are far from God to find God. That's called, when that happens often enough and fast enough, that's called revival. The Bible calls that an awakening. When, when souls wholesale are brought to Jesus, that, that's something that our country has experienced a couple times in the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, and it, it was in Europe, and it rippled here, and there was just, just so much life change that happened and a spiritual thing that happened, and droves of people came to the church, and droves of people came to Jesus, and it's been far too long since we saw an awakening like that here. You know, the gospel of Jesus is flourishing and exploding in different parts of the world, but you know where it's not? It's here. It's here. See, a government, the role of government when it promotes peace and it promotes what is good, what it does is it gives us a playing field, an opportunity as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, an opportunity as the church to do what the government can't do and won't do, and that is to promote the gospel of peace to the rest of the world. They're, the government isn't going to be the one that God uses to change the individual hearts and lives of people around us. It's going to be you and it's going to be me. And I hear a lot of talk, I do it myself, wondering when those, their job, you know what God at Capitol building or this person or that judge, when are they gonna do their job? You know what God is saying here? He's saying, listen, when I gave you a stable government and you don't have to worry about food or starvation or your next meal or, or, or if, if laws are gonna be enforced and I give you a stable society and the government's doing its job, all I wonder is when is the church gonna do its job? Because the only thing that thwarts the plans of God in an awakening is the church being disobedient. 
I think that's where we're at today, guys. You and I live in the most prosperous nation that's ever been on the face of the world. We have government leaders that they are failing in a lot of ways, but we live in a stable society. We need to continue to pray that they fulfill their duties to lead our country that is be free from anarchy and free from persecution and free from economic hardship so that the gospel of Jesus can continue to spread and grow, not like it's been doing, but, but like never before. So I want you to realize when Nero was in power in that first century of Rome, there were some horrible things happened, but it provided a stable environment for the church of Jesus to thrive. They had roads, they had laws, they had a stability in those nations that the Roman Empire covered, that they could go and literally in 30 years, in, in a short span, the good news of Jesus traveled to the whole Roman Empire because the government was doing its job and the church was doing its job. And so we pray for an awakening. We pray for the conversion of our, our leaders. We pray that their decisions would help facilitate the f- spread of the good news. We pray for wisdom, that they would make decisions that what's best for the country and that's what, not what's best for them in Washington. We need to pray that revival would come. We need to pray this awakening will happen. And listen, we pray that it happens through a stable government and not through the other way God will do it. And that's persecution. There's two ways this works. That the church takes advantage of the opportunity it's been afforded or they lose their grip on the societal powers and persecution comes and you are, and you are hurt for being a follower of Jesus Christ. You want to know how the gospel spreads more than any other way? Persecution. But for my sake and for your sake and for our kids' sake, Let's pray that now be the time that revival and awakening come to our nation and not through persecution. So I believe you and I have a great power at our disposal, and it's called prayer. We believe prayer changes things. We believe there's a God who answers our prayers, that we will pray bold prayers, expectant prayers, urgent prayers, specific prayers, on our knees prayers, like, it, like the future of our nation is on the balance prayers. Can we do that? We're called to do that. I want to leave you with just a couple simple action steps. One is that you would begin the habit of praying for our nation, or maybe you're doing it, that you'll just double down on praying for the nation on a consistent matter, an assistant basis. You make that a part of your regular prayer life, that you pray for those in authority. Secondly, I want to challenge you to pray for a spiritual awakening in this nation before it's too late. And we beg God to give us boldness. We beg God to open the hearts of unbelievers. We beg God that, that he would bring a change spiritually to this nation and the climate that we live in. I got another one that's not on your connect card. I want to challenge you if you struggle with the people on the other side of the aisle, that you will pick out a name of someone you despise in government and you pray for them all week. Don't pray they get hit by a bus. Don't pray any harm on them. You genuinely pray that God would be at work and use them for his purposes. 
And lastly, I just want to say, we got a lot of unperfect leaders to pray for, don't we? That's all of them. But there's something in us that longs for a perfect leader. And one day that perfect leader, King Jesus, will set up his kingdom on this earth. And one day he will rule and reign. And the government that he leads will finally be the government we all long for. And it'll be a beautiful thing. It's, it'll last forever and it'll be good. And every single person is invited to be a part of that kingdom except not everyone will be in it. On Memorial Day, when we think about those who laid down their life so that you and I can enjoy the freedoms that our country affords, the same thing is true in God's kingdom, that Jesus, the one sacrifice, was the memorial sacrifice that he laid down his life, that you and I turn to him in faith, not trusting in our works, not trusting in our morality, not trusting in our religion, not trusting in our country, not trusting in our money, but trusting in Jesus Christ alone to forgive us of our sins and give us a new God. Let's bow our heads together. Father, God, I thank you that one day the perfect place we all long for in our heart will be a reality. I thank you that you're the God that you didn't leave anybody out. You are inviting all to come and be a part. I thank you that in the name of Jesus, as we call on his name, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's your promise today. As God is speaking to your heart and you recognize that your morality is insufficient, but that the sacrifice of Jesus is, today would be the day you step into genuine faith in Jesus. And all all that looks like is you say, God, I'm insufficient. My sin is a stain before you. My life doesn't measure up to your holiness. You tell them this. But I believe Jesus not only paid for the sins of the world, he paid for mine. And I'm placing my faith in him. I believe he died for my sins and he rose from the dead. Jesus not only be my savior, but would you be my perfect leader? God, we pray for our nation. It's flawed. It's led by flawed people. It's got flawed citizens like us. But I, we believe that there's hope, God, and that hope's found in you, that we can still be one nation under God indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. God, would you bring peace to this land? Would you heal the brokenness that's in our divisive uh, politics? God, would you make us a nation that lives for the betterment of its citizens and not for political power? God, would you let goodness and morality and godliness reign once again in your nation. Help your people to take a stand, God. Most of all, God, we just pray for your supernatural outpouring 
of the good news of Jesus on our lips, lived through our lives to resonate with the people around us. God, that you would spend, send an awakening that shakes this country. God, that changes this community, that leaves so many people's lives changed by the powerful work of Jesus Christ. We beg you, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.